We're finishing up the series Life of Christ, and uh, we're very familiar with the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and sometimes we forget that he lived a life, a perfect life. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, it's important to know who we're following. And my prayer throughout that series this summer has just been, I hope as we took a closer look at the life of Jesus, what he taught and how he lived and the compassion he showed and the, what made him angry and all these things about our Savior, that we would fall more in love uh, with our Savior. And what a beautiful Savior that we have. And I hope that's kind of stirred your affections for him as we've looked at this. And we're going to close out today uh, looking at the return of Jesus this morning. Um, and you can learn a lot about the character of Jesus and the return of Jesus. Uh, you will see that he is somebody who keeps his word. Uh, he's faithful to his word when he returns. It says that he cares about us, that he's coming back for us. It says that he cares about justice, that he's a God of justice, that he's returning as a judge to deal with the wickedness in our world. And there's a lot you can learn about Christ through his return, but what we want to focus on is how should the return of Christ be shaping us uh, as believers now? And when you think of the return of Christ... It can seem kind of fairy taleish, right? Like we're the bride of Christ, just like Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty, and we're just waiting for our Prince Charming to come rescue us. And I know in today's age there's a reaction against uh, those kind of old fairy tales of we're much more enlightened than that, but there's a reality to that storyline. We're in need of rescue. We are the bride of Christ, and our Savior is coming back for us. And as fairy taleish as it may seem to us, uh, just, the Scripture says so much about His return. It's crucial to the faith of Christianity. And I know it's fresh in our minds as a church. We just got done going through the book of Revelation. But it is it is essential element of the Christian faith. In fact, uh, Scripture speaks so much of it. I'm just going to share three verses with you to just kind of prime the pump. But this is in John 14. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Is that not incredible? Like, we just kind of comprehend what Jesus is saying. It's like, I'm going to go away, but chill out. I'm going to be back. While I'm away, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to come get you. That's amazing news. Here's something else he says. This is in Acts 1. Jesus just got done kind of giving the great commission to go spread the gospel everywhere. And then he ascended to heaven, kind of floated up in a cloud. And this is what happens. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That had to be a sight to behold. And while they were gazing to heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, these are angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Okay, angels, but I'm saying dumb question. You know why they're looking at them. And they just behold Jesus being ascended into heaven, but they go on and say, this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's saying, basically, Get to work. Like he just gave you this great commission, but here's the great promise. Just as you saw him ascend, he'll, he'll return in the same way. Wonderful news. Here's one more. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. So you kind of saw that in Acts 1. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Like he is coming back again. Now, let's be honest. 
It's been a minute, hadn't it? Like over 2,000 years, and it's understandable to kind of feel like you just move on. You just kind of move on with life. It's like, that's great. I got bills to pay. (laughs) There's taxes that are due. We got soccer practice we need to get to. Like all these kind of things in life just happen, and you just kind of move on. And, And that's a little bit of the concern. Like, it's understandable, but it's a little bit of the concern. Like, we should be patient in waiting for the Lord's return, but we should never lose our angst and excitement and eagerness to see His return. In fact, you see this tension. This is in the book of James. We're going to get into this book in the fall. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's saying the Lord is coming, but it's going to require your patience. It's not going to come as quickly as you want. It's going to require patience. But then that's held in tension with this. This is said in Hebrews chapter 9. He says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. So this is his second coming. Not to deal with sin, because he did that in his first coming, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. Is that you? Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? See, here's the fear. We have the most life-shaping news ever. That we have been completely redeemed and forgiven of our sins. That our Savior loves us. That he has gone to prepare a place for us. That he's coming back for us. It is the greatest news ever. And we really believe it. And I don't know if you're visiting, you're like, you're telling me that Jesus is going to part the clouds and come in and rescue a white horse. I'm like, I'm in. Yeah, you want in? Like, that's what we believe. It's the most life-shaping news ever. But here's the concern. What if the most life-shaping news ever is not actually shaping your life? No, I didn't say whether you believe it or not. I'm saying, what if it's not actually shaping how you live and act and feel and conduct yourself day in and day out? And Jesus had a concern about this. He, he gave a warning or addressed it. Jesus gave five parables about his return. And just for a time, I'm going to kind of fly through them. One was the parable of the homeowner and the thief. It's in Matthew 24. And basically the, the point is stay awake, be diligent in waiting for the Lord's return. Uh, he told the parable of the good and wicked servant, also in Matthew 24. He said the point of it is stay faithful until the Lord's return. Don't let his delay cause you to stop honoring him. Um, he also did the parable of the ten virgins. This is in Matthew 25. They kind of, these four are right in a row. Um, the point there is be prepared to wait uh, a good while for the Lord's return. Like, don't, don't fall asleep on it. Uh, there's the parable of the talents, also in Matthew 25. The point be faithful to live for him while he is gone, anticipating his return. So you kind of see a pattern here. Stay faithful. Don't go to sleep on this. Be ready. Like this is kind of the concern that comes up again and again whenever Jesus talks about this. And, and the last parable uh, is the parable of the absent master and the entrusted servants. This is in Mark 13. Let me read it to you. But concerning that day, the return of Christ, or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. And then what does he say? Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to what? Stay awake. Therefore, what? 
Stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Okay, so that's kind of the warning he's giving people listening to him. And when I come, will I find you awake or will I find you asleep? And then here's the command. What I say to you, I say to all, which would include us. And what does he say? Stay awake. Now, did you notice any repeating phrases? Yeah, stay awake. Like this is good. This is what I'm, I'm telling you. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Like time and time again. In fact, Paul picks up on this imagery in 1 Thessalonians 5. So if you have your Bibles, that's going to be our main text where we're going to go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there. Um, if you've been around for a while, uh, you may be, be familiar. We preached through First and Second Thessalonians like I think three years ago. Um, but as my wife told, tells me, nobody remembers what you said last week. So this is going to be fresh uh, for some of you. Um, and I want, by the, by the end, I would love to give us a word um, that is packed with meaning, that has fresh meaning that could be really helpful for us. So we're going to get to one word um, that we can hopefully apply to our life. So First Thessalonians 5, while you're turning there, let me give you some context. Uh, this is a church that Paul started uh, you can read about it in Acts 17. Uh, he goes into Thessalonica, preaches the gospel powerfully. Uh, some Jews and a lot of Greeks believe, um, but the leading Jewish people of that community were upset and maybe jealous about the following he got after preaching the gospel. They form a mob to run him out of town. So anytime preaching the gospel leads to somebody forming a mob, you may you're in good company, okay? Uh, so they form a mob, chase him out of town. Well, he doesn't get to stay as long as he would like. And so as this kind of new young church that he helped start, he sends Timothy back to check on them. Uh, and Timothy returns to Paul, giving a report of how they're doing, and they have some questions. And Paul writes this letter to them, trying to answer some of those questions. And, and by the content of the letter, it seems like some of the questions they have um, have to do with the return of Jesus. Did we miss it? How do you be ready for it? So we're going to look at how he answers that. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he picks up on that thief uh, language or imagery that Jesus used in some of his parables uh, and one thing that we know is a thief doesn't tell you when he's coming. Like, they don't make an appointment, right? They don't call you and just like, are you free from 1 in the morning to 2.30? Like they don't schedule that, right? They're, they're just going to come. So if anyone is trying to put dates up to this, you're missing the point. You're focused too much on when he's coming rather than being ready for his coming. And those are two very different things. You can study all you want to try to figure out when he's coming and not be ready for his coming. He's talking about being ready for his coming. You don't know when, just be ready. Like that, that's the message that Paul's giving them. That's the message that Jesus was giving in all the parables that he talked about his return. You don't know when, be ready. The message was not, you don't know when, so don't worry about it. <laughs> just go on with your life. Just do you, do your things. Like you don't know, you don't know when, so don't stress about it. That was not the message. The message was, you don't know when, be ready. Be ready. That's what, he's, that's what he's pushing for them. So how do you be ready? Look at verse 3. 
While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So he's saying the return of Christ is going to be a surprise for some. For some. So some people are saying peace and security, everything's great, nothing to worry about, and then destruction. But he's saying, but that's not you. Like that some people, that's what it's going to unfold, but, but you're not in dark, you're, like, you're not in the dark for this return of Jesus. Like, I didn't know he was coming back. No, you do. He told you. You just don't know when. But not knowing when doesn't mean you can't be ready. You need to be ready. But some people aren't going to be ready. They're going to be going on with life as normal. They're going to think everything is great. And then all of a sudden destruction is going to come. They're going to be saying peace and security. And for Paul's audience, that was the thing they were saying. Uh, There was something called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And Rome, by the sword, did bring peace and stability to the region. They brought roads. They brought infrastructure, they brought government, they brought judicial systems, they brought law and order. Like they did some amazing things in less amazing ways, but they brought peace and security sort of to the region. In fact, they erected a temple in honor of divine Julius Caesar and Augustus, the quote, son of God, for providing the peace in Rome. And what Paul is saying to this audience is, don't buy into this false idea of peace and security. I know everybody's saying it. I know everybody looks at Rome and be like, who could ever bring down Rome? Well, we're on this side of history, so it happens, right? They're saying, who could ever bring down? Like, look at, look at what Rome has provided. Look at the peace and security that Rome has provided. And Paul's like, yeah, don't, don't bite on that. Don't, don't buy into this false sense of security. Your security does not come from a government. Your security does not come from a military. Your security does not come from a 401k plan. Your security does not come from access to health care. Your security does not come from your job. Your security does not come from your family. He's saying real, eternal security comes from Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. It comes from forgiveness of sins that you find in him. It comes from the redemption that he has bought for you. It comes from the promises that he gives you that he is going to come back for you. That he's going to wipe every tear from your eye. That he's going to make all things new. He's like, this is where you find security. So don't buy into these kind of false ideas of where you find security. And no matter how comfortable or confident the world feels, destruction will come. And no world power can protect itself from the return of Christ. He's saying, so the second coming of Christ is going to be sudden and unexpected for some. Not you, you're not in the dark, but for some. It's going to be sudden and unavoidable. There's going to be no warning and no escape. But notice the illustrations that Paul's using. He's saying it's going to be like a thief in the night, and it's going to be like labor pains of a pregnant woman. Now, you don't know exactly when those things are going to happen. I know today you can schedule pregnancies, but, but to Paul's audience, he's like, you know when you're pregnant, but you don't know when the baby's coming, right? I've never been pregnant myself, uh, but I have three kids, and we knew there's a baby coming, okay? And when that comes, it's like, you don't know when. You don't know the time of night it's going to happen. You don't know wh- what day exactly it's going to happen, but you can be prepared, right? 
you can pack the to-go bag, you can build the crib, you can get the car seat ready. Like, you can be ready for when it comes. Or a thief in the night. You may not know when in the night the thief is going to come. But Home Alone has taught us, you can be ready. Right? Like, you know, like, he knew they were coming and he could booby trap the whole house. Look, and he's saying, like, listen, if you knew, somebody said, like, hey, somebody's going to rob you tonight. You could be like, okay. And you're like, what time? I don't know, tonight. You could be ready. That's what he's saying. Like, you don't know exactly when, but that's no excuse for not being ready. You you can be ready. You're not in the dark to this. Listen, just because you don't know the date doesn't mean you should be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised. Jesus was very upfront. I'm coming back again. The angels to the disciples, hey, stop staring in the clouds. He's coming back again. Like, it's been very evident all throughout scripture. He's coming back again. Like, we believe that. Like, we believe the tomb is empty. He is risen. He's interceding. His plans are unfolding. And part of his unfolding plan is to return for his people and bring judgment on the earth. So, what does it mean to be ready? Great question. Verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. So there's a contrast. If you kind of run into verse 5 with verse 4, like what was he talking about right in verse 4 he's saying but you're not going to be surprised like a thief why aren't you going to be surprised like a thief for or because you are children of the light and there's this contrast of like what children of the light do and what children of the night do and he's like you're not over here you're over here you've been made aware of god's plans so he starts off when talking about being ready for the lord's return of talking about our identity And then he gives into our behavior because they're connected. Let me start with your identity. This is who you are. Let me remind you who you are. You are children of the light. But who you are affects how you behave. So you are children of the light. So then, he goes in this. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Let's act like it. Let's let's live like it. And this is a call to holiness which is consistent throughout this letter of what Paul's kind of pleading for these people. You, you don't have to look these up, but I'll just kind of give you a flyby on some things he said to them thus far. This is in chapter 2, verse 12. He says that we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you. It's like, so this is a big deal. We're exhorting you, we're encouraging you, we're in charge. For what? what? What is it that you want us to do? Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Then you got 3.13. So, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. It's like this is what he's working on. He's wanting your, your holiness. When, when the Lord returns, he wants your holiness. Or you get into uh, chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us that, that how you ought to walk or how you ought to live and to please God just as you are doing. That you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, like your development, you're becoming more and more holy. 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he's saying this is what he's after. He's like this call to holiness that he's saying this is what it looks like to be, to be ready for the Lord's return. Listen, we're called to live differently. And I don't, maybe I don't like that word differently. We're, to call, we're called to live for Christ in a world that doesn't. So you're not called just to be different. You're called to be faithful, and being faithful will make you different. Like, live for Christ. Take the narrow road. Don't follow the crowd. Live for Christ, and you'll be different. But living for Christ before he returns prepares you for his return. You tracking with me? It's like, how do we be ready? Well, living for Christ before his return prepares you for his return. It's a call to be holy. And he's kind of contrasting what it means to be a children of the light or the day versus children of the night. And there's different actions that are associated with that. So he gives this analogy of being drunk versus being sober. So, so two imagery here to kind of get, understand what he's saying. There's the contrast between being awake and being asleep. And there's the contrast between being drunk and being sober. So he's saying, don't, don't go to sleep on the return of Christ. Don't, don't lose sight of his return. Don't, don't just be lured to sleep and forget about the Lord's return. Don't go to sleep on that. And don't be drunk. Now, this passage is not talking about don't drink alcohol. There's other places to go there about warning against the abuse of alcohol or being a drunkard. This passage is not one of those. He's just using an imagery to talk about the dangers. He's not saying don't be drunk on wine. He's saying don't be drunk on this world. Right? Don't, don't be intoxicated with this world. Because we know what it looks like to be under the influence of alcohol. Right? You make some poor decisions. Amen? Right? He's saying, don't be under the influence of this world. You're going to make some poor decisions. You're going to, you're going to just be entire. You're just going to drink it all in. You're a worldaholic. Right? Whatever the hottest shows are, whatever the hottest fashion is, whatever the hottest social media is, I just drink it in, drink it in, drink it in. It's good. Like when Christ returns, he's going to find you passed out on a couch with world all over your face. That's, what that's kind of the imagery that he's giving. It's like, that's not what it looks like to be ready for his return. So what does it look like to be ready for his return? Let's look at all of verse 8. He says, but since we have belonged to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Now, if you're not going to drink the Kool-Aid of this world... If you're not going to just try to, try to fit in with everybody and go along, but rather you're going to say, no, I'm going to live for Christ. Though none go with me, I'm living for Christ. No matter the consequences, I'm living for Christ. I'm going to take the narrow road. I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. Like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go against the grain. What he's saying is like, great, put a helmet on. Because faithful living to Jesus in a sinful world is not for the weak. He's saying it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a war. But notice what the helmet is. Because we talk about that battle language. Some of you are like, yeah, let's go. Arm up. It's like, okay, well, let's look at the armor then. What, what is the helmet? Hope. Specifically, the hope of our salvation. And, and what is our chest guard? Faith and love. Hear me now, Paul is talking about faith, hope, and love as forms of protection. 
You get that? Now, I know we, we say faith, hope, and love, those are something we should all have, but have you ever thought of those things as protection? As if you don't have it, you're very vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the world. Paul's talking about faith, hope, and love as forms of protection. And the question is, protecting us from what exactly? Going to sleep. Being lured to sleep in this world. Getting intoxicated by this world. Being under the influence of this world. If you don't have faith, hope, and love, you are vulnerable is what he's saying. Faith, hope, and love as protection. Now, not generically. Let me, let me clarify this. Not faith, hope, and love generically. Because I know that's like a great thing. You put that in some cursive on some barn board, hanging in your kitchen. Everybody's going to love that. I know some of you are like, oh, that is in my kitchen. That's great. That's not wrong. Put it on your kitchen. That's fine. But we're not applying faith, hope, and love generically. It's not like faith, hope, like what, what specifically is he talking about or does he mean when he says faith, hope, and love? It's the hope of salvation. It's faith in that the Jesus is going to return. Like, I really believe he's going to return. I have a real hope that he's going to save me. And it's a love of his appearing. That's what he said. Like, there's a specific uh, context to faith, hope, and love. I really believe in the return of Christ. I, I really love and am excited for his appearing. I, have, I, I really have a hope that when he does, he's going to save me. Like, that's what it looks like, and that's what he's talking about. And they're not just beliefs we have, they're beliefs we wear. He's saying, put it on. Wear it. Put, put those things on. Uh, they serve as protection. Put on faith in the return of Christ. Put on love and an excitement of his, his appearing. Put on a hope uh, of your salvation. It's about reinforcing the, those truths to ourselves. It's about staying awake to those truths. Jesus is king. He's returning. It's about fanning the flame of our excitement for his return. Like when we put that on, when we put on the hope of our salvation, we put on uh, the love of his appearing, when we put on the faith in his return, it's like fanning, like I'm excited for that day. I can't wait for that day. It kind of stirs up our passion and our anticipation for that. Because listen, when we love his appearing, we live in anticipation for it. And when we live in anticipation for Christ, we live for Christ. Right? When we love his appearing, we'll live in t- anticipation for it. And we have an excited anticipation for Christ's return. We live for Christ now. Guys, we can't afford to lose sight of Christ's return. It can't just be like an afterthought. It can't just be something that's kind of in the back of our mind and we go throughout our day and it really is not affecting us. We- we're vulnerable, if that's the case. And you're, you're not wearing your hope. You're not wearing your faith. You're not wearing uh, your love. Here, here's what I want you to remember. Staying awake to Christ's return someday is what motivates our faithfulness to him today. Staying awake to Christ's return someday is what motivates our faithfulness to him today. His return someday is meant to inspire our holiness now. If you're awake to it. If you're awake to it. Now let's get practical. You ever try to stay awake when you're really tired? Maybe when you're driving on a trip, family sleeping, but you don't care. You crank the radio, right? It's one in the morning, ACDC, whatever it takes. You roll the windows down. You put the air in your face. Like you're just trying to stay awake. Like it's, it's a battle. It's, it's work to stay awake. How do we stay awake to the return of Jesus in a world that's just trying to lure us away from that. 
kind of entice us away from, kind of put us to sleep in that. Like, how are you supposed to stay awake in that situation? You guys are familiar with the story of Pinocchio? And I know it's been around a while. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. <laughs> like, if you're really educated, you, you may have read the novel way back in the day. In the novel, there was a, a place, the land of toys. But uh, if you're like me, you probably just waited for the movie. Um, but in the movie, they went to, does anybody remember the, the island they went to? Pleasure Island. Right? And we, get, we could talk a while about the imagery here. Because in Pleasure Island, like, he wants to become a real boy. He needs to be born again. He's trying to find life, but he's going to make it back to his father. But on this journey, he gets kind of uh, lured into Pleasure Island. And in Pleasure Island, you get this promise of freedom. No parents, no curfew. You don't have to eat your vegetables. You can have as much cotton candy as you want. You just do you. You do whatever's fun. And what happens on that island? They turn into donkeys. And they get sold into slavery. Which is kind of this pers- like irony of like you're pursuing freedom and what you think gives you freedom and it ends up enslaving you. That's the story we're in. And there's this promise being delivered to us all the time in this world. You do you, you just, you're the chief of your own life. Slavery, that's where it goes. But you, he's on this island, it's pleasure island. And it's just meant to distract you from what life is really about until you're captured. And in the scriptures we talk, it tells us that we're sojourners and we're exiles. But sometimes we don't talk about where we're exiled to. Pleasure Island. From the fall in the Garden of Eden, what was the promise? You make the rules. You want to eat the fruit? Eat the fruit. You do you. You're in charge of your life. And you chase whatever fun you want to find. How do we stay awake to the return of Christ when we live on Pleasure Island? Or let me put it this way. How do we stay awake to the return of Christ when we live in America? Right? So much stuff to just distract you and get your attention away from what matters most. Living for King Jesus and his return just kind of puts you to sleep to it. I mean, King Jesus and his return and the clouds parting and he's coming for redemption and judgment. There's nothing greater than that. There's an iPhone 10, right? And if that gets old, guess what? There's an iPhone 11. And then there's going to be what? I don't even know what number they're on now. What number are they now? 16? What are they at? It's going to be a 16X and a 16XI and a 16XIL5. I don't know what it is. But it's something new. And it's kind of like enticed you. It's like, have some more. Right? And Christ is returning. But they just came out with Mission Impossible. The last one. And you watch it and it's awesome. It's like, that's just part one. Now we got to wait for part two. Jesus don't come back before part two comes out. And there's just so many, there's always something new. And you're just kind of like lured into it, lured into it. How do you stay awake to the return of Christ? And when I say awake, how do we stay excited? Like, I want it now, today. Like, come, Lord Jesus. Like, nothing's better than, like, how do we maintain that passion for his return? Well, there's two practices that we need to prioritize. And they're not new. But I want to help us see the value in them and not just the obligation to them. Uh, so that we're more committed to them, or at least more committed to them for the right reasons. And they're things that have been pushed to you before. So when I bring these up, I bet for some of you a guard's going to go up. I'm like, here we go again, we're going to talk about it. But I'm, I, I just, put your guard down and hear me out, okay? Especially going into this new year. And I'll show you where we see them in the text. Worship and community. It is essential to staying awake. And if you're not awake, you're vulnerable. Worship 
and community. And let me push back on some of the dangerous thinking that says, I don't, I don't think it's that important. Like you don't need to come to church all the time. You don't need to be in a connection group. Right? I think average church attendance now is like once a month. If you come once a month, you're kind of a regular. And there's this thinking like, it's not that important. You don't need to do that. And I'll give it to you. Technically, you don't need to. Just like you don't need to wear a helmet to play football. I mean, technically, you don't need brakes to drive. I mean, let's not get legalistic. Technically, you don't need a parachute to skydive. Just let the guy jump, right? <laughs> right? So there it is. Jake's getting legalistic, telling us we've got to come to church more often and be in a connection group. Yeah, you need to. If, if you need a parachute to skydive, then yeah. Like, there's this, he's saying, if you don't, you're like going into battle without your helmet on, without your chest plate on. That's foolishness. Like there, there's, a, there's an essential practices. And I think sometimes we look at this as just an obligation and we don't see it in the light of the return of Jesus Christ. So what's the connection between your church attendance and your community involvement with the return of Jesus Christ? That's, I'm glad you asked. Great question. All right, look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, why does he say that? Because let me tell you this, that's not new information. They're not reading this and being like, wait, Jesus died for us? We're not destined for wrath anymore? We're destined for salvation? If it's not new information, why does Paul give it to him again in this context? Because Paul's trying to keep what's ahead of them in front of them. And that's super important in the Christian life. He's trying to keep what's ahead of them in front of them. And guys, that's this. That's this every week when we get together. That's this corporate worship that we do. I don't care what kind of week you had. We need to get together and sing about King Jesus. Remind ourselves what life is really about. Remind ourselves that he's greater than whatever we got cooking up and going on. Remind ourselves that his return is the best thing we got to look forward to. Kind of like we've got to stoke up our emotions and our affections and our passions for his return again. To love his appearing. To really believe and reinforce that faith. To put on the hope, the helmet, the hope of our salvation. You've got to keep it in front of us. Gathering together to praise God reinforces that in our own hearts. It reinforces it to each other. And if we don't constantly reinforce that, you will more easily fall asleep to it. Look at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's reinforcing community. I like how he says it at the end of chapter 4. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know what he was just talking about when he says these words? The return of Christ. He's saying, you have to talk to each other about the return of Christ. You've got to like fan the flame of excitement to one another when it comes to the return of Christ. So here's how the author of Hebrews puts it. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So we just talked about that, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as what? You see the day drawing near. What day? The return of Christ. Like community, listen, listen, staying awake is a community project. In a world that's luring us to sleep with all its 
lesser things, we need friends keeping us awake to the reality of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we start making life about things it's not really about. And church, he's not just talking about having faith, hope, and love. He's talking about putting it on. He's talking about wearing it. And there are a lot of good church people. In fact, I'm looking at a lot of good church people. But there are a lot of good church people that have faith, hope, and love. But it's more like something they have a deep in their closet. Like a bridesmaid dress they wore a long time ago, and they're not even sure if it fits anymore. Faith, hope, and love is not just something we should have. It's something we should have on daily. And consistent worship and community keeps us dressed. It keeps our excitement and love of his appearing on us. We have the greatest news ever, church. I mean, seriously, the greatest news ever. When you just slow down and try to comprehend it, it's mind-blowing. I am completely forgiven of all my sin. I have a Savior who is going to come back for me. And while he is away, he's preparing a place. And he's going to wipe every tear from my eye and make all things new. And I get to live in light of the glory of this God forever. Are you kidding me? We have the greatest news ever. The most life-shaping news ever. But what if it's not actually shaping your life? Staying awake to Christ's return someday is what motivates our faithfulness to him today. So here's your one word. Our one word. I just want to give us one word. I'm going to introduce a trigger word for us. Normally when you hear that phrase trigger word, you think that it's going to like trigger bad emotions. Like it's, you're just going to hear it and you're going to get upset about something or, or it's going to flush up some bad memories. This is a good trigger word. Like I want this word to trigger in us hope. I want it to trigger worship. I want it to trigger encouragement, excitement, optimism. And I want you to be able to use this word to yourself and in conversations with other believers. And here's our trigger word. Someday. Someday. Because for the Christian, someday is the return of Christ. So maybe you're having the worst week and it just seems to keep coming. You're so frustrated at work, conflict with friends or family. And on the drive home, you can just tell yourself, someday. Someday God's going to right all this wrong. Someday he's going to wipe every tear from my eye. Or maybe you just got terrible news from the doctor. Or you're sitting in a funeral service of a loved one. And you can just tell yourself, someday. Someday death will be no more. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Or maybe, maybe you had the best week of your life. You're floating in a lake with loons and you're just telling yourself, I don't think you can get better than this. And you can remind yourself, someday, someday it's going to be so much better than this. And this is just a foretaste of whatever's to come. And as we keep the return of Christ in front of us, like we're wearing it, may it protect us from the lure of this world and keep us faithful to him until he returns. Amen. And let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would indeed light a fire in us to be more excited about you and your return than Pleasure Island. That we would put on like a helmet the hope of our salvation. That we would wear like a breastplate our faith and confidence in your return and our love for your appearing. And we would obey you, not out of of obligation, but out of excitement for your return. And the sweetest words we could ever hear in our life are from you when you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in your name. Amen.